Welcome back to the Nutrition Unmeasured podcast. The sponsor of today's episode, well, it's me again, my personal intuitive eating and wellness program. Allow me to be your personal coach through the 10 principles of intuitive eating. During this journey, you'll receive a workbook to have throughout, a helpful body positivity journal, access to me at any time, and bi-weekly one-on-one calls to keep you accountable to yourself. And of course, to stay motivated to change and find peace with food and your body. Before getting started today, I'd love to ask for a review if you're loving this podcast. Reviews only take a few seconds and they just really help me grow the listenership and I would very much appreciate it. All right, some updates since last time. Uh, Let's see. I don't know about you, but if you have kids, you probably understand this more. Already booking summer vacation stuff. And when I say summer vacation stuff, I specifically mean summer camps. Um, When you have kids, you literally have to book summer camps six months in advance. So finally got through that, was able to get the kids into a really great summer camp that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, Actually at my old work where they're going to be doing lots of cooking and sports. And I'm very, very, very excited about that. They've got some friends that they'll be doing that with. Also booked a vacation. We're actually going to be going to... Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Michigan. Um, I'm just kidding. It's not a bad word. Kind of a bad word in this in this household. I'm not going to lie. Michigan, anything with an M. If you don't know about the big rivalry between Michigan and Ohio State, um, I'll just say that there's a big rivalry with football. Um, but we, I would never have thought that my husband would want to go travel to Michigan um, on his own accord. But here we are. We have booked a trip to Michigan because I'm not going to lie. It's beautiful. We're going to Traverse City and very excited about that. I have no beef with with Michigan, but of course, every game day, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, you better believe I hate Michigan for those four hours, especially the past few years because we've unfortunately lost to them in the game. All right. Uh, Lastly, I'm very excited about this. Uh, I finally was able to book a yoga retreat. I have had this dream. It's not maybe that's a little bit of a of a exaggeration. Not really a dream, but I've really wanted to go on a do a yoga retreat. And I I kind of like in the back of my mind want think I want to do a yoga retreat somewhere else. You know, maybe uh, a yoga retreat um, to another country. Uh, but here I am. I'm actually doing a yoga retreat only about an hour away just to kind of get my my feet wet, see what it's like. And I'm very excited about that coming up here in the springtime. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the topic today. Uh, basically incorporating nutrition with your kids without being an almond mom or an almond parent, I should say. So what exactly is an almond mom or an almond parent? An almond mom or parent Uh, is one who follows incredibly strict or dangerously unhealthy eating habits and then attempts to force those habits and rules on their children. You can probably imagine the answer to the next question, and that is what's potentially dangerous about being an almond mom? And this is straight from an article that I will put in the show notes from today.com. The almond mom phenomenon is rooted in fat phobia and internalized bias. She projects her own fears onto her children and in doing so teaches them that she doesn't accept them unless they're at a weight that may be attainable or excuse me, maybe unattainable. And I really want to add to that that even beyond weight fears, 
it's not always about weight. The Almond Mom takes a wellness and health or takes on wellness and health. It takes to a whole new level. Fearing that she must eat a specific way in order to be healthy and portray a certain wellness image. And that because her kids are essentially an extension of herself, they must also follow those same rules. I think it's important to point out that while the term almond mom is popular and most popular, as I keep saying, it can be almond dads as well, although less common. Um, but, you know, anyone can fall into this into this trap as a as a parent. So what is dangerous about this? It really sets the stage for raising kids who are over overanalyzing their food choices uh, who don't trust themselves to make a decision around food that is based on what their body desires and needs in the moment. And as mentioned before, who internalizes certain biases about their body or their health. So all in all, like, that is what is dangerous about this almond parent phenomenon. Um, so the nutrition and health recommendations for kids, I'll be honest, they can be overwhelming. So the question is, how can we not fall into the almond parent narrative when we want to protect our kids so much? No one's perfect. You know, just because your kids most likely don't always reach their nutrient goals, it doesn't make you or them a failure or make you or them unhealthy. I recognize as a mom myself that it's really hard not to get caught up in the numbers and not to think that my kids need to eat a certain way to be healthy now and then even into the future because I tend to futurize everything. But maybe we can also start to recognize the importance of raising kids who are autonomous, who choose foods that bring them joy, who are able to detect proper hunger and fullness, and feel confident in their ability to listen to and trust their own bodies. And that brings me to the next question. So I don't know. So I know I don't want to be an almond mom. You know, maybe that's what you're thinking as you're listening to this. And I know my kids aren't getting enough nutrition. But without becoming overly anxious, what might be a better approach to take with our kids? So I have this same thought, too. I don't want to be an almond mom, of course. Um, I, I this is kind of, I guess, my job in many ways is to help parents and people not overanalyze their food choices and not moralize, uh, not put a moral value on food. But of course, as I said prior, I very often can get caught up in this idea that, oh no, my kids aren't eating right or aren't getting enough X, Y, Z. And and that's maybe for me more because I, I see the recommendations often and I know what they are, but even so, even if you're not a dietitian or not working in the nutrition field, you can still be prone to this type of anxiety about what your kids are eating. So I just want to normalize that very much. Uh, you know, I, I really don't want to allow myself to undo my kids' natural intuitive eating skills. But again, I do, I do know the recommendations and I'm going to give them to you now. So just as a general guide, what are the recommendations for, for kids? And this is based on uh, the myplate.gov website, specifically the life stages link, which I will put in the show notes. General recommendations for kids are roughly two to three cups of fruits and vegetables a day. <laughs> I can't help but giggle a little bit at that. Three to four ounces of protein two cups of dairy or dairy alternatives like almond milk, soy milk, um, pea protein milk, etc. Although I will say 
the one that matches most one-to-one compared to cow's milk, as far as nutrients are concerned, will be soy milk. I would also argue that pea protein milk is is a pretty good one there too. And then lastly, three to five ounces of grain, um, most importantly, whole grains. But of course, any grain fits in that category. It does not have to be whole grains. Other grains also have the benefits uh, oftentimes, just maybe not as much as much fiber. That breaks down to specific protein needs of roughly 20 to 35 grams for ages 4 to 13, and then fiber needs of roughly 10 to 25 grams for ages 5 to 15. I don't know about your kids, but my kids are certainly not getting this on a regular basis. But here's the thing. And if you listen to the podcast, when I used to have it with with Nicole, she would always say this, and I love this. Our body looks at averages. And when I break it down, maybe on average, my kids are getting pretty close to those recommendations. Uh, And my guess is so are your kids. Maybe day to day, they're not getting all that. But on average, they're probably getting pretty close. You know, I will say for my own kids, my goal isn't to give them two to three cups of fruits and vegetables a day, because even for me, I will say that's very difficult. But to expose them two to three times a day to fruits and vegetables, whether or not they eat it. To me, that is more realistic. Also, I will say, if they can even just eat a fruit or a vegetable two to three times, I don't care if it's a bite of cucumber, a bite of an apple, some applesauce, a piece of broccoli, just eating a bite of a fruit or a vegetable three or two to three times a day, I think, in my opinion, would be a win. Uh, And that exposes them. uh, So hopefully they can continue to incorporate those foods in their diet as they as they get older. Let's review some common feeding styles amongst parents. Actually, at the beginning of this podcast life, back when, again, I was with Nicole, one of the first episodes we did was on feeding styles. And actually, I will never forget recording this episode because this was back when we had no idea what we were doing. And I had the way wrong equipment to podcast. I didn't have the correct microphone. My computer was a Google Chrome, which if you've ever tried to podcast using a Google Chrome, you'll know that or it's not a Google Chrome, a Google you know what I mean? It's the Google computer. I can't even think of what they're called, but they're not for podcasting. Uh, So that's what I had at the time because it was cheap. And I was like, "Eh, I'll buy this. This will work. It did not. I was also podcasting in our kitchen, which has vaulted ceilings, which if you have any idea what that means, basically sound just bounced from, you know, wall to wall. There was lots of echoing. It sounded not so great. Either way, we did this episode on feeding styles. It was a lot of fun. And it was based on an article Uh, that I'll, again, put in the show notes from CNN.com. And it was called, I think, just like parenting food uh, styles or feeding styles. And here's what they are. There is the authoritarian. This one aligns mostly, I would say, with this almond parent mentality where you're strict about what your kids eat and don't eat and do things like make them clean their plate or force them to eat their vegetables. Next, there's the uninvolved or permissive permissive or neglectful feeding style. This is the opposite of uh, this is the opposite extreme of the authoritarian uh, where there are no rules and really nothing is off limits. A child can eat what they want when they want it with really no guidelines whatsoever. And then next, there's the authoritative feeding style, which straight from the article is the feeding style associated with the most positive health outcomes, which Uh, One of the authors, or I guess one of the uh, people they talked to for this article, Castle, 
He defines this as love with limits style. So the the authoritative style is loving with limits. This offers children boundaries and structure, but still considers their feelings and food or eating preferences. So it's kind of like right in the middle of that authoritarian and that permissive style. It's this happy medium right in the middle. This kind of feeding style aligns with the idea that, as Ellen Satter says in her book, Child of Mine, we as parents supply the food, but then allow our kids to decide whether they eat it and how much they eat. The idea here is that it's okay to have some rules and guidelines in the household. And in fact, it's encouraged. Bring in foods you want your kids to eat and expose them to them. Be okay, though, if and when they don't want to eat it. Also, try to let them get involved in the food decisions. We'll talk about that actually here shortly. So I want to also be clear when I say it's okay to have food rules and guidelines. I really actually think the word guidelines is a little bit more positive. I'm actually not really a huge fan of food rules, but gentle guidelines and structure is much more helpful for, I feel like, not only kids, but also adults. I always say to anyone I work with, I'm not giving you a rule, I'm giving you a guideline. And that means that that kind of takes away from this black and white uh, mentality, this all or nothing mentality. Like if I didn't meet the rule or if I didn't follow the rule, I'm a failure. No, it's just a guideline. So there's no right or wrong. Okay, so what are some ways to give our kids more autonomy in their food choices? Okay. When we as parents bring in certain foods to the house with grandiose expectations for our kids to try the food and love the food just as much as we do, or just as much as maybe they did the last time they ate it. Have you ever experienced that? They ate it one day and they loved it. So we bring it back into the house thinking, oh, they're going to love it again. They're going to eat just as much. Yeah, we've all been there. But when we do that, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Yes, we should be bringing in new, fun, and a a wide variety of foods to expose our kids. But we are negatively affecting their autonomy when we get upset that they won't eat the food or go, go even further and force a kid to try a food or finish their plate. Allowing your kids to make their own decisions will help them feel more confident in their food choices. We can increase that confidence further by allowing them to play a role in deciding what to eat on any any given week or day. Uh, In other words, like what's going to be on the menu or even by having them help to prepare the foods. I will tell you, I have not gotten there with my own kids. Uh, I always suggest this as an idea, especially for the more choosy kids, which I will say my kids are, are, but for some reason, and I just haven't gotten comfortable yet with allowing my kids to help with dinner it's almost for me because they're not tall enough yet to like reach the counter so helping out just becomes more of a nuisance and I know that maybe that's just an excuse they at times will ask to help but I think at this point I give them things to do to prepare for dinner for example that doesn't necessarily involve the food so for example can you get some the drinks ready for us can you set the table we put the placemats out uh, will you get the the questions that we like to ask during dinner during dinner time to you know um, evoke some questions and comments and discussion? So it hasn't really in our family we haven't gotten to the point yet where they're really helping. But I but I do think an easier one though is getting them involved in the menu planning. 
you know, my daughter has very uh, a wide range of opinions and is not shy about uh, letting us know what those are. Wonder where she got that from. If you know me, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, but getting them involved in what is going to be on the menu in any given week will give them that feeling of, wow, they they want me to be a part of this. And oh, I do have a voice in 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 what I'm going to eat, you know, on any given day. So even if you have, you know, a specific recipe in mind and they don't like it, ask them what they would like for a side. Should we get a specific fruit that we can cut up or a fruit salad or a specific type of bread or roll? Um, those are the big ones that we go to. Fruit and rolls or a vegetable, a roasted vegetable that you like. Or what would you like on the side? If It's okay if you don't want to eat the main menu, but what would you like me to include on the side? So again, getting them involved is, is really important. So what do you do if your child just doesn't eat anything new or seems to eat the same thing all the time? Okay, I know this is going to be an annoying suggestion, but just don't stress. Yes, I understand and completely empathize that this is very hard. Remember that instilling ideas that certain ways of eating are better or are or other ways are inferior can lead to your child having a poor relationship with food. And guess what? A poor relationship with food causes stress, which is also not good for them. I'm actually going to put an article in the show notes from LinkedIn.com about how stress, uh, stressing food is worse for your health than what you actually eat or stressing about food is worse for your health than actually what you eat. Uh, so keep that in mind. We, we, we really want to make sure that there's no stress around food because adding stress around food just adds more stress to one's life, which as we know, stress isn't good for us. It's not good for you. It's not good for your kids. We can't protect them from all kinds of stress, but wherever we can make a difference, let's try to do that. Some other things to consider if you have a child, I will say like one of mine, who just doesn't seem to ever want to try anything new and always wants the same exact things. I'll just tell you it's either stickers or pasta every single day. Here are some things that you might want to consider. And there's just two that I have on here. One, your kids are going to follow your lead. Even my most choosy eater is intrigued when I make something new or am eating something new. I am not saying they always try it, but I can always tell they are intrigued. And that's exposure number one or exposure number two or 10, whatever it is but they'll follow your lead and they are curious about what you're eating. Even if they don't grab it and eat it right away, even if they don't wanna try it in that moment, they are curious and they're watching. And then this one's a little bit more simple. Supplementing never hurt a thing, never hurt anyone. I am definitely one to uh, add supplements to my kids' diets. One of my children are, one of my kids' children, I guess they're not really children anymore, uh, but one of my kids is really good about taking a Flintstone vitamin, which I mean, I'm a huge fan of Flintstone vitamins. They are chewable. They have a good amount of iron, lots of other nutrients. I'm really big on the iron specifically with my kids. Um, but the other one refuses, which is very frustrating. So I kind of have to stealthily add different supplements to their food and or drinks. For example, I found a like an iron powder that I can put in their sauces or sometimes their water bottle. Ah. 
uh, for some iron. And then I also use vitamin D supplements. Uh, I put it in both of their waters. It, you, can, you can't even tell it's there. It's just a tiny little drop of vitamin D, especially in the winter. Uh, and then sometimes I'll supplement with calcium powders and smoothies and even mix it in their milk at times since they don't really drink much milk at all or eat yogurt. So supplementing never hurt anyone. And well, I guess I shouldn't say that. You'll definitely want to talk to your doctor before supplementing just to make sure um, there's definitely some supplements out there that probably would hurt your kids. But the basics, iron, vitamin D, um, calcium, generally never hurt anyone. And feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about that. But of course, always talk to your doctor before adding those to your to your kids' routines. Okay, I also want you to take a moment and think about how you ate as a kid. Was it perfect? My guess is likely not. I always say there's no such thing as a perfect diet. Maybe you are a great example of how we grow and learn if given the opportunity to be intuitive and truly listen to our bodies. Kind of going back on what I said before, I want to end with an important quote. What we eat is less important than why we eat. I wish I could give that quote some credit. I want to say that it's from the intuitive eating book, uh, maybe edition three. I'm going to say it again. What we eat is less important than why we eat. As parents, our job is to offer our kids a variety of food and feed them when they need fed. Our job is not to micromanage their eating, but to help them be more autonomous in their food choices and find the joy and satisfaction in foods. Part of this is helping our kids recognize when they're hungry, when they're full, uh, which foods make them feel better physically, and that food isn't the only way to handle emotions. If we can cling to that as a goal as parents, instead of telling our kids what and how much to eat or not eat, our kids will be better off moving forward. And the why behind why they eat will be because it sounds good or because they're hungry. If we talk about food as a vehicle to satisfaction, enjoyment, and energy instead of attaching some moral value to food or highlighting food as a way to achieve a certain physique or physical look, we are ahead of the game and our kids will one day thank us. All right, that's a lot. That was a lot. Hopefully that was helpful. Just some good motivating uh, reminders for you as parents or as a caregiver. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and end with a favorite new product. This is actually a recipe. I made this. I I, I didn't, I'm kind of alluded to this in, in this episode, but my kids have become very choosy, especially one of them. Uh, they've been choosy for a while. So I will say I usually make things um, fully expecting them not to even try or to try and dislike what I make. But I made this cheesy chicken casserole from Southern Living Cookbook which was super simple. It was in the, uh, the slow cooker, I want to say. No, it was, the insta it was the pressure cooker. It called for just already cooked shredded rotisserie chicken, cheese, cream cheese, crackers, cream of mushroom soup. So as you can imagine, it was very salty and creamy and rich. Um, I actually added some broccoli to it just to, I don't know, add some color. Uh, and the kids absolutely loved it. I served it over some brown rice, so they got a whole grain in there. And I actually wish I would have doubled it uh, because it was so, so good. I will put the recipe in the show notes. That is it for today. Coming up on March 11th, I will be talking about, well, I didn't even put it in here. I will be talking about, sometimes I do this, 
March 11th. Here we go. My favorite intuitive eating and haze or health at every size and self-care books. So if you are ready to go pick up some new books at the at the library or uh, go on Amazon or wherever you get your books, uh, definitely tune into this episode because I'm going to be talking about my probably top 10 favorites. Uh, all right. Until then, treat yourself with the respect you deserve. Be the best friend you've always wanted. Reach out to me at any time on Instagram at Nutrition Unmeasured or via email at trustyourbodyrd at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and come back again soon.